Welcome to the H&E Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through discussions on church history, biblical spirituality, the Bible, Christian living, and theology. Shall we get started? Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks Edited and read by Christopher Ellis Osterbrock Chapter 1. Device Number 1 To Present Pleasure While Hiding Poison Satan's first device to draw the soul to sin is to present the bait and hide the hook. Satan presents the golden cup and hides the poison. His method is to present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin, and to hide from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. By this device he took our first parents. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods." Here is the bait, the sweet, the pleasure, the profit. Oh, but he hides the hook, the shame, the wrath, and the loss that would certainly follow. There is an opening of the eyes of the mind to contemplation and joy, and there is an opening of the eyes of the body to shame and confusion. He promises them the former, but intends the latter, and so cheats them, giving them an apple in exchange for a paradise, just as he deals with thousands nowadays. Satan with ease puts fallacies upon us by his golden baits, then leads us and leaves us in a fool's paradise, but pays the soul with the greatest contempt, shame, and loss that can be. By such a golden bait he labored to catch Christ. He shows him the beauty and the bravery of a bewitching world, which doubtless would have taken many a carnal heart. But here the devil's fire fell upon wet tinder. Therefore it would not take. These tempting objects did not at all win upon Christ's affections or dazzle his eyes, though many have eternally died of the wound of the eye and fallen forever by this vile strumpet, the world. This strumpet presented her two fair breasts, profit and pleasure, and by their seduction wounded their souls and cast them down into utter perdition. She has slain millions by the glittering of her pomp and preferment, just as the serpent Sightail, when she cannot overtake the fleeing passerby, she amazes and astonishes them with her beautiful colors. They have no power to flee, so she stings them to death. Adversity has slain her thousand, but prosperity her ten thousand. Four remedies to this first device. Number one, stay away from what might become sin. First, keep at the greatest distance from sin and from playing with the golden bait that Satan holds forth to catch you. For this remedy you have, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. When we meet with anything extremely evil and contrary to us, nature abhors it and retires as far as it can from it. The Greek word rendered abhor is very significant. It signifies to hate it as hell itself to hate it with horror. Anselm of Canterbury explained that if he should see the shame of sin on the one hand 
and the pains of hell on the other, and must of necessity choose one, he would rather be thrust into hell without sin than to go into heaven with sin. So great was his hatred and detestation of sin. It is our wisest and our fastest course to stand at the farthest distance from sin, not to go near the house of the harlot, but to fly from all appearance of evil. The best course to prevent falling into the pit is to keep at the greatest distance. He that will be so bold as to attempt to dance upon the brink of the pit may find by woeful experience that it is a righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit. Joseph keeps at a distance from sin and from playing with Satan's golden baits and stands. David draws near and plays with the bait, falls, and swallows bait and hook with a witness. David comes near the snare and is taken in it to the breaking of his bones, the wounding of his conscience, and the loss of his God. Sin is a plague, yes, the greatest and most infectious plague in the world. Yet, ah, how few are there that tremble at it, that keep at a distance from it. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? As soon as one sin had seized upon Adam's heart, all sin entered into his soul and overspread it. How has Adam's one sin spread over all mankind? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Ah, how does a father's sin infect the child, a husband's infect the wife, a master the servant? The sin that is in one man's heart is able to infect a whole world. It is of such a spreading and infectious nature. There is a story of an Italian man who first made his enemy deny God. Then he stabbed his victim. So at once he murdered both body and soul. Such a story declares the perfect malignity of sin. Oh, that what has been spoken upon this head may prevail with you. Stand at a distance from sin. Remedy number two. Sin has only fleeting pleasure, but lasting sorrow. The second remedy is to consider that sin is but a bitter sweet. That seeming sweet that is in sin will quickly vanish, and lasting shame, sorrow, and horror, and terror will come in the room in place of all sweetness. Though wickedness is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he does not spare it or forsake it, but keeps it still within his mouth, yet the meat in his bowels is turned. It is the gall of asps within him. Forbidden prophets and pleasures are most pleasing to vain men who count madness mirth. Many long to be meddling with the murdering morsels of sin, which cannot nourish, but rent and consume the belly and the soul that receives them. Many eat on earth what they will digest in hell. Sin's murdering morsels will deceive those that devour them. Adam's apple was bittersweet. Esau's stew was bittersweet. The Israelites' quail were bittersweet. Jonathan's honey was bittersweet. Adonijah's dinner party was bittersweet. After the meal ends, then comes the reckoning. Men must not think they can dance and dine with the devil, then sup with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. A man who feeds on the poison of asps is wrong to think the tongue of the viper should not slay him. When the asp stings a man, it first tickles him so as to make him laugh 
until the poison, little by little, gets to the heart and pains him more than it ever delighted him. So sin may please a little at first, yet it will pain the soul with a witness at last. Yes, if there was even the least real delight in sin, then there could be no perfect hell, wherein men shall most perfectly be tormented with their sin. Remedy number three. Sin brings the saddest losses of the soul. The third remedy against this device of Satan is to solemnly consider that sin will usher in the greatest and the saddest of losses that can be upon our souls. Sin ushers in the loss of that divine favor that is better than life, the loss of that joy that is unspeakable and the full glory, the loss of that peace that surpasses understanding, and the loss of those divine influences by which the soul has been refreshed, quickened, raised, strengthened, and gladded, and the loss of many outward desirable mercies which otherwise the soul might have enjoyed. It was a sound and savory reply of an English captain at the loss of the ship Calice, when a proud Frenchman scornfully demanded, When will you fetch Calice again? The captain replied, When your ships shall weigh down ours. Ah, England! My constant prayer for you is that you may not sin away your mercies into those hands who cannot call mercy, mercy. Those that would take joy in nothing more than to see your sorrow and misery, and those who want to see that hand make you naked that once clothed you with much mercy and glory. Remedy number four, sin's very nature is deceit. The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that sin is of a very deceitful and bewitching nature. Sin is from the greatest deceiver. It is a child of his own begetting. It is the ground of all the deceit in the world, and it is in its own nature exceedingly deceitful. But exhort one another daily while it is called day, in case any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It will kiss the soul. Pretend to be fair to the soul, and yet betray the soul forever. It will, with Delilah, smile upon us, so that it may betray us into the hands of the devil, as she did Samson into the hands of the Philistines. Sin gives Satan a power over us, an advantage to accuse us, and by a means to lay claim to us. For those that wear his badge, it is of a very bewitching nature. It bewitches the soul where it sits upon a throne, so that the soul cannot leave its sins, though it knows it will perish eternally because of them. Sin so bewitches the soul that it makes the soul call evil good and good evil. It calls bitter sweet and sweet bitter. It calls light darkness and darkness light. A soul so bewitched with sin will hold fast to sin until death, at the sword's point with God. Let God strike, wound, and cut to the very bone, yet the bewitched soul does not care to fear, but will still hold in a course of wickedness, as you may see in Pharaoh, Balaam, and Judas. Tell the bewitched soul that sin is a viper that will certainly kill when it is not killed, that sin often kills secretly, insensibly, eternally, yet the bewitched soul cannot, will not cease from sin. When the physicians told Theodomus that unless he abstained from drunkenness and uncleanness, he would lose his eyes, 
His heart was so bewitched to his sins that he answered, Then farewell, sweet light. He would rather lose his eyes than leave his sin. So a man bewitched with sin would rather lose God, Christ, heaven, and his own soul than part with his sin. O therefore, forever take heed of playing or nibbling at Satan's golden baits.